most failed GURPS games that I've encountered and I've talked to people about is a result of the player the players basically running rush shot over the GM and the GM saying, sure, yeah, we can do that. And then they run it for a couple sessions and then they're like, I really don't like where this is going and I'm quitting. Jay's gonna bring me back. Give me a plus one to attack. Oh, 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 I want to come back to the dice. Oh, 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 I think I need some good advice. I need a roleplay rescue, oh yeah. I need a roleplay rescue, oh yeah, oh yeah. Hello Rescuers, I'm Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue. This episode is an interview with a very special guest who, having had the conversation that I'm about to share with you, acted essentially as a huge catalyst to my own transition in the hobby. Christopher R. Rice is constantly writing, tinkering with, and running GURPS. He's a frequent contributor to Steve Jackson Games' Dungeon Fantasy and Pyramid, and if he's not writing for GURPS, he's probably blogging about it. His site, Ravens and Pennies, is well-stocked with more GURPS goodies than you could shake a stick at. I've been talking to him about getting going with my own GURPS campaigns, and I have to be honest, I actually originally thought this might just be an extra little bonus that I would slip in there, but even if you're not a GURPS aficionado, there are some really cool tips hidden away in this interview. But for me, on a personal level, I think Christopher has given me the confidence to actually take the steps that I need to take to move into running a campaign with that most auspicious of game systems. So Christopher, if you're listening to this, I just wanted to say a huge thank you. We had this conversation back in the February half term, which is probably about five, six weeks ago now. And I've just had to ruminate on it before I was ready to share it. But here it is. And Without any further ado, yeah, let's dive in. This is Season 8, Episode 14, Firing Up GURPS Campaigns with Christopher R. Rice. So, Christopher, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for agreeing to come and have a chat with me today. Glad to be back. I've been wrestling a little bit with GURPS and I thought it would, you know, nobody better really to talk to you about this uh, idea of kind of getting my own campaign together than you. So I thought it would be useful to have a general conversation around that topic. How do I start to build my own campaign? You know, moving from having played some Dungeon Fantasy, having played um, a little bit of Monster Hunters, having played a little bit of action, having fiddled around with After the End. Um, you know, got a sense of the game, know how the game plays, been playing for a year or two now, but it's time to sort of build my own campaign. So I always feel there's a considerable overwhelm there, like, oh, crikey, there's so many things I'm going to have to think about, so many choices I'm going to have to make. Where do I even start? Um, so I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. So um, one of the things that you always kind of want to do when you're building your first freeform GURPS campaign as if possible, make it a modern day campaign. Okay. The reason for that is twofold. First, GURPS really, really allows for a perfect symmetry when you're describing real world things in game mechanical terms. Right. 
it, it's one of those uh, systems where if you look down deep enough, everything follows. Hmm. Like if X does Y, then Y should also do Z. And if Z does Y, then it might equal A. Yep. So I always tell people to try to start with a modern day campaign if possible, yep. because that reduces some of the overhead. Like even if you even if you're using another system, when you're when you're running a fantasy campaign or a sci-fi campaign, there's a lot of extra overhead you have to cover. You need maps, whether it be system charts for a space campaign, or the local inhabitants of your fantasy continent or whatever. You need to figure out, at least in very base terms, the inhabitants of those places, mm-hmm. and that's not always easy. That can stall you right there. You can go down deep um, just from that one particular problem. Maybe it would it would help to sort of start with a bit of an example then because one of the things that I promised myself I'd do this year is to build a sort of near future modern sort of conspiracy horror setting um, okay. based in the UK called Britannia 2043. That's my working title. Um, like the idea is, you know, sort of, yeah, 20 odd years from now, everything's gone to crap. Um, you know, government's breaking down a little bit the streets are rough and also you know there's just all sorts of factions and stuff doing their own thing so if that i don't know if that would help but i thought thought maybe if you're talking about doing a modern game maybe start to think about okay what sort of stuff would you need to deal with what sort of stuff do you need to, to think about to get yourself going so for that near future kind of campaign you really need to look at Ultratech, right. and this is one of the things that i really hate um, well, I don't hate it. I, I hate doing it. I, I always find it fascinating, even while I'm grumbling to myself while doing it. Uh, <laughs> you need a tech tree. Yep. Okay. If you don't have, if you, for any campaign that's over TL8, or, well, you, you'd need a tech tree too if you're doing a fantasy campaign, but it's a different kind of tech tree. For future campaigns, even near modern, you need to figure out what you have available as far as technology goes. Now, Ultratech does a pretty good job of giving you lots of options. Mm-hmm. Um, but inevitably, what you need to do is you need to sit down and decide what is available because you can't just say, okay, it's TL9, everything at TL9 is available. If you do that, there's going to be consequences and you're not going to like how uh, things unfold when your players start pulling out super science or the like. Mm. So you need to really... That, that that's like from first principles really for uh, an ultra tech campaign you need to figure out what tech is available now broadening that a bit for any campaign you need to figure out what powers or abilities or gear the pcs will have access to hmm. um okay. once you figure that out everything else kind of flows from that um another thing i like to do when i create a campaign is i create what's what's called the the backbone hmm. and that's what is inherent fundamentally true even if the players themselves don't know it all right so for one of my campaigns chronicles of kateri the backbone is the abrahamic god is real hmm. and heaven is real and angels are real and everything flows from that it is something that is unalterable so before you really start working on the campaign, you really need to figure out what the backbone is. Mm, sort of core truth. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, sure. That, that's another good way to, to put it. Mm. Um, but you build on that. That's mm. your foundation. 
you know, not to get biblical, but you don't want to build on sand and fog. Yeah. Um, you, you, you want something that is firm and that is fundamentally true because that will inform all of your decisions thereafter. Now, when you're building a GURPS campaign, I, personally, it takes me three to four months to build a GURPS campaign, but I am an oddity. Mm. When, I, when I do a GURPS campaign, I write a book for it. Mm. You know, and the book can be anywhere from 120,000 words to 220,000 words. It's everything that if I were a GM and I knew nothing about the campaign setting, a GM could open up the Bible and go, oh, okay, this is where I am. This is what characters are allowed to have. This is some possible adventure seeds. You don't need to do that. Hmm. I do that because I enjoy it. Right. Uh, I think most GURPS campaigns can be created in about two weeks mm-hmm. with the heaviest, most difficult portions being, like I said, uh, your fundamental truth, as you call it. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, core truth, rather. And then what the players have access to. So once you figure out those two things, you're, you're pretty much set. You don't really need to do much else. I mean, even if, even if that's all you did, if you didn't bother creating any more information uh, for the players, except a minute elevator pitch, mm. um, this is what the campaign is going to be about. Bam. Here's all the stuff that you have access to or can create your character with. Mm. You can still get a good game out of that. Yeah, and when when you say like all the things you cut your character, I mean you've mentioned technology. I presume what you're also meaning is like these are the skills that are available, these are the advantages and the disadvantages that are available. Yes, you know powers or whatever. So, and again, going back to that idea of it sort of being a a modern game primarily, you know, I'm kind of thinking drop out the psionics, drop out the magic at least to begin. You know, let's let's play a game that's pretty mundane and focus on you know factional interfighting and those kinds of corporate espionage that kind of thing you could put supernatural abilities in something like that without it being a problem but mm. the problem for gurps comes from two it's twofold really it's analysis paralysis yeah there's too much and you don't know what to do and then there is because there is too much because you've made it you know wide open kitchen sink um which i some people like playing like that i don't mm. and i think gurps suffers when you have it be something that's just a free-for-all mm. uh, you want clear defined lines mm. i remember talking to sean punch and he was saying it's very much a subtractive process as a yes. gm you know you have to sort of cut away the things you really feel you don't need uh, i would i would add to that that it's like creating a statue out of a block of marble you mm. uh you remove all the bits and pieces you don't want on your campaign and then you refine the bits and pieces that you do mm-hmm that's why it seems enormous. Is this to me? It's like you know, I sit. If I sit and chat to players about it, you know, they start going, "Oh yeah," and there's that supplement, there's this supplement, and there's that book, and there's that book, you know, and, and you sort of think, "Crikey, how am I ever going to get my head around it?" So, so you know, I'm sort of sitting th- thinking, right, okay, well, grab grab your basic set. Um, you're suggesting like grab ultra tech or you know, presumably high tech, and then just kind of go from there. Yeah. Um especially if you're doing like you know your your idea here with the 2042 or 44 mm-hmm. whatever it was you really for something like that you basically want to define the tech tree and then mm. if you're going to allow any supernatural powers to find those as well mm-hmm. and then those those particular parameters will allow your players to build their characters 
Um, you're going to want to go through the traits. Like maybe your campaign is more cinematic than normal and you might want to allow an additional level of extra attack. Anyone can purchase, for example, anyone can purchase one level of extra attack. But maybe in your campaign, two levels of extra attack work. Hmm. Uh, you're probably not going to want to allow really exotic traits like altered time rate or, hmm. you know, extra head. <laughs> and, you know, the, those sorts of things when you're dev- designing your campaign, um, you're going to want to make sure they're completely out of bounds. Hmm. Um, that way it doesn't produce something that you don't want to run. Because really, that's what happens in GURPS. Most failed GURPS games that I've encountered and I've talked to people about is a result of the player. The players basically running rush shot over the GM and the GM saying, sure, yeah, we can do that. And then they run it for a couple sessions and then they're like, I really don't like where this is going and I'm quitting. Yeah. That's why it's really important to get everything together at the beginning. Hmm. Um, otherwise, you'll wind up with a lump of clay instead of you know a statuette so i was thinking about you know geographically limiting it a little bit to begin with take a small you know take a city for example and use the maps and you can do in a modern game obviously i can use the actual maps um even if it's 20 years in the future you know things aren't going to change hugely and um, i'm thinking technologically i don't want it necessarily to be super high tech i think it would be fun to have some stuff that is perhaps the cutting edge you know the technological cutting edge um i can, the idea from i had was the premise was that these characters will be a sort of members of a maybe a secretive organization that works for the crown you know um the sort of uh, investigate stuff and um you know i i think it would be fun to do some exotic things in there you know um but at its core you know make it an investigative game because it's exactly the sort of thing i haven't run yet with gurps you know really um everything i've been doing up till now has been pretty high high action but also pretty you know broadly generic i suppose it'd be quite fun like you said to do this bespoke campaign um so take me through a little bit through your process i mean i know yours you said yours, yours is an oddity but um you know how do you approach kind of building it so the first thing that i always do um before I really get into, you know, first principles is mm-hmm. I figure out the pop culture that I want to influence the tone of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Things to read, things to play, things to view, things to mm-hmm. listen to. Okay. And I, I put those out in uh, a file called the uh, campaign details. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect everyone to read all the books or to watch all the movies or mm-hmm. watch all the TV shows or so on. But they're there so that if if you're confused about what they are, if you haven't seen them, you can easily wiki it, mm. you know, and get a general feel for what I'm trying to go for. I, I think it's really important that the player and the GM they be on the same page as much as possible. Mm. It's not gonna you're not gonna be able to be at the exact same paragraph on the same page unless you know you're really good at communicating or you know they're mind readers. I guess I guess that's about sort of giving them the visuals, giving them the aesthetic, giving them a sense of how it's meant to feel. Yeah, um, it's. I have found that if you equate things that are from pop culture into a gamist manner, mm-hmm. you can get across ideas faster than you could by simply explaining them. Mm. Because you know, like. Uh, say you want to run a fairy tale world that's kind of like Cinderella. All you have to do is be like, yo, look at Disney Cinderella. That's kind of what I'm going for. 
Mm. Everybody's going to be mice and you're going to be helping this poor girl. Mm. Yeah, okay, I get this. Kind of like with my thing, I'm kind of thinking, um, what's that? There's that Doctor Who um, sort of spin-off series they did. I can't even remember the name of it now, but I need to go Google it. Fortwood. That's the one. Um, you know, I'm kind of thinking that. I'm thinking maybe some um, overtones of your sort of cyberpunky um, imagery, you know, sort of run-down cities and a bit of an underclass. Um, I'm thinking maybe some Blade Runner-y elements there as well. Um, cops on the streets and, you know... Uh, criminal gangs and all that kind of imagery and I guess yeah as soon as you start talking like that it becomes a little bit more tangible doesn't it yeah you you get to convey ideas it's it's like a it's a, it's like encapsulating an idea to where you can put together various bits and pieces into a formula and then give them the formula and then if they don't understand exactly what's going on they can respond in the same manner they can be like mm. Oh well, is this going to be Disney's Cinderella, the animated version, or is this going to be more like the live-action version? Hmm. And uh, I've found that, like for my my next my upcoming campaign, since we last talked, I actually I wrote an entire Bible on what I was going to do for this Cthulhu-ish campaign, hmm. and my players all got together and were like, "We're not interested in it." Oh wow. <laughs> so I run I run a pirate democracy, uh, yeah. and that basically means my players decide if they don't like what's going on. You know, they choose a new GM. If mm-hmm. they like the GM but they don't like the story, then they don't have to play that either. Mm. And like I was disheartened, I really was because it was mm. something I really wanted to run. Um, but at the same time, everybody was very gentle. They were like, "We love the way you play." We love the way you run, but we just don't want to play in this. So, uh, that got destroyed, and that went back on my hard drive somewhere. Mm. Um, And I started another campaign, which I've been working on, and it's called A Thousand Tiny Gods. Right. And it's essentially about the offspring of deities, Mm -hmm. um, whether they be the offspring of a god and a mortal or two gods. Uh, and it has a kind of Highlander element to it. Every hundred years, three of these offspring are chosen to become uh, full-fledged deities. But to do so, they have to kill other de- other demigods and godlings. Cool. So it's sort of like, um, sounds a little bit like that old Skion game meets kind of Highlander. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... Um, so far, that's 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 the basic elevator pitch. Is it's like Hunger Games meets Highlander meets uh, mythology, mm. and like my players instantly grabbed onto that. They're like, "Yeah, we want to play this." Mm. So, uh, uh, actually, going back a little, another thing that I like to do is I like to send out surveys. Uh, yeah. Players, I'm no- notorious among my players for, but I love sending out surveys to find out exactly what they want. Yeah, because if if I send out surveys and people give me the exact thing that they're looking at the thing that they're most interested in then i can tailor the campaign to some degree to what they're looking for Hmm. Um, and when you do that you get very invested very interested players Hmm. Um, so after i come up with pop culture i work on the first principles which are what's absolutely fundamentally true yeah and then 
what kind of rules kind of follow? Like, in A Thousand Tiny Gods, deities are real. Hmm. The mythology might not be exactly as it is for creation, because no one knows who actually created the Earth. And nobody hmm. knows if the, the deities created man or if man created the deities. Mm-hmm. So they, they run on raw belief, whether that's actual worship of them or just, you know, uh, we read about Zeus in ninth grade, uh, you know, mythology class today. Um, that <laughs> sort of thing is what fuels them. So that's a cornerstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going from there, you can just kind of build it up. Right now I'm working on creating a framework for performing godlike miracles. Mm-hmm. And that's taken way longer than I thought it would. I, I had to go and basically create something from scratch, which has been annoying. I'll put it on my Patreon eventually. Talking about your surveys, I know you've got a few examples of those out, out on your blog, haven't you, Ravens and Pennies? I do. Um, it's the Framing Preferences series. I really yeah. think that that is extremely helpful when you ask your players what they want. Mm. Because um, you're gonna, you're not gonna be able to get, you're not gonna be able to please everyone unless you have a group of players that are really, really tight knit and close to almost exactly what uh, the others want. But you'll get a good idea. Um, and I, I have built surveys from on Google Swarms that you can just like copy over to your hard drive and use. Mm-hmm. But once I have kind of the background, I do the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, background probably takes me about a week hmm. um, for something generalized for a details document and then I'd work on whatever mechanics I think I'm going to need like for a thousand tiny gods I'm going to need three different things I'm going to need godlike powers mm-hmm. I'm going to need magic which I'm calling channeling mm-hmm. um, and then I'm going to need powers bestowed to worshippers which is basically just divine favor Hmm. so put all of those together and you have the supernatural powers framework um it's a tl8 setting so i don't have to worry about ultra tech thankfully (laughs) um i really really don't like making tech trees it is my least favorite thing to do it's one of the reasons why i don't really run sci-fi campaigns yeah once i got all that in order i tend to either finish up the character creation file or mm-hmm. I work on the background of the campaign. It really just depends. And where do you bring in, I mean, when do you bring in like the, the players to sort of start working on their character uh, and maybe their character ideas? Do you uh, sort of build your campaign fr- framework and then bring them later? Do you, is this a t- back and forth thing? What do you it do? really depends. Like for this particular mm. campaign, I, I, get, I started them out from the very beginning. This is what I'm going to do. Here's my elevator pitch. Everybody likes it. Okay, here's I need you all to come up with three concepts for your for each uh, game you're in, and then, you know, they've been working on that while I've been working on the campaign itself. Sometimes I don't do that until every uh, all the the information is done, so they can pour over it, get their ideas, and then, you know, create their characters. Mm-hmm. It really just depends, but. Um, the more complicated the characters are Mm -hmm. mechanically, the quicker I like to get them started. Like when I was running my superheroes, uh, superheroes game Aeon, Mm -hmm. 
I had people working on character concepts before I started putting anything to paper. Right. Just because, you know, we were talking like 1,500 to 2,000 point characters. Mm. Um, and it might not seem that complicated when you're buying really big flashy powers, but it, it, it really can be. Mm. Uh, so you need to kind of take that into account. Yeah. So the, the, the more difficult or complex the character, which has absolutely nothing to do with points, but really points just make it more of what it is. The sooner you should let them get started on concepts. It was interesting that you said, like you take three concepts from each player. Um, where's the thinking there? Well, I don't do PVP games for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, I really like my player characters to fit together as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes the idea of the campaign changes enough that one concept might not work, mm -hmm. whereas the other two might. Um, and I also like to give the players the option, like, you know, I, I want three concepts. Which one's your favorite? Okay, mm -hmm. well, let's use your favorite, or we can't use that because of what, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they'll get together and they'll talk about all their concepts. Mm-hmm. And you'll be, oh man, I really like that idea. And you know, they'll, they'll exchange concepts. It's really much mm -hmm. a give and take with my gaming group. I've got about twenty players, yeah. uh, spread over three different groups, mm -hmm. and they all play in the same setting. I don't run different games. Mm -hmm. They they typically play in the same city at the same time, so it's mm -hmm. entirely possible to do a crossover, which is was really really fun with Aeon. And I think it's going to be really, really fun with my upcoming campaign. Hmm. They, how to put it, the 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 more options you have as far as character concepts go, I think lets you really get together with other players and like create a good snug fit for a group. Hmm. And I think that's important. Hmm. Like. If you have a character who is going to be angsty, and the other PCs aren't on board, aren't on board for that, hmm. all you're doing is creating wanks, <laughs> and, and you just basically are going to bore the people, and you're not going to have fun with the character that you wanted to play. Yeah. So it's really important that you have multiple ideas that you like that can fit in a campaign, and that your other players can fit too. Like, you know, it's it's really a, a kind of a jigsaw uh, when it comes to player characters and their interactions, even before the campaign begins. You know, I, and I've done that for as long as I can remember gaming, mm. you know, um, even back in D&D. &D. It's kind of interesting. I, I, I've never, you know, I've never been as a player asked to, you know, do anything more than create a character. And um, yeah, most of the groups you know, I hanged with and I've played with over the years, you know, players... Uh, they do one don't they um, so it's kind of interesting to think about you know yeah I actually really you genuinely guys you need to go away and come up with three cool ideas and then you know we can talk about it that's that's great actually um, it reminds me of advice I always give to, to students when they're doing thinking which is I kind of have the analogy of there being you know a shelf of ideas and what people most people do is they reach up and they kind of grab the first thing they, they can and they're off the shelf and usually it's pretty generic it's pretty you know, common, not particularly interesting necessarily, not even necessarily the best idea. Um, but you sort of say, keep rummaging, see what else you can find up there you exactly. know, and bring those ideas to the table. And I think that's sort of the same principle, isn't it? That, yep. you know, bring me some ideas. 
I, I find a lot of times if I tell if I tell players, you know, here's what I'm trying to do as a GM. Hmm. You go find something to enhance what I'm trying to do. They'll come back with three really solid ideas that will do exactly that. Hmm. Um, I've found that most players want to really interact with the campaign world, like at its most basis level, if at all possible. You know, they don't want to just be a part of the world. They want to be a part of the design of the world. They want to be in its mm-hmm. bones. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try to facilitate that sort of process when I'm running a campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them involved. I want them sitting right there with me while I'm typing, you know, to get things done um, so that they can enjoy what I'm doing and I can enjoy what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um I remember you said last time that um you you very much want the um the the player characters and the the players to be um I don't remember how you put it this this idea that that they were sort of informing your process as you went forward so as you were sort of creating I got the impression that you know your your adventures that you would run for example would be very much tied to the backgrounds of characters that you incentivized yes. you know that having a, a background and having a, a sense of place within within the setting am I getting that right no you know absolutely so one of the things I do when I have people mm-hmm. create characters after we've decided a concept I give out character points if you come up with a good concept, I give out character points. If you come up with a good picture, uh, even if it's something off the internet, even if it's just like an actor's headshot, whatever, yeah. I I give points for background. You know, if you write a fifteen hundred word background for me, you're going to get like ten points mm-hmm. to spend on your character. Yeah. You know, and you do all these things, and the points they add up. And I I probably could do it now without requiring or giving any of those sorts of things. Mm. But I like to 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 have them have that extra that that feeling of being rewarded for going above and beyond and really when you're playing a role-playing game if you're doing anything other than creating a character to play the game you're going above and beyond Hmm. Uh, it's become a lot more popular lately to give yourself a really good background yeah Uh, um you know some gms don't like that i love it Mm -hmm. i i will create an in care an entire in character story arc off of the players' backgrounds, hmm. no problem, like at all. Yeah, it always seems to me like it's—I um, don't know—it's like low-hanging fruit, isn't it? If the if the players have got a cool idea, um, <laughs> you know, to sort of grab those things and try and those, yank on those well, strings, the, as it were. The trick is not to let them see you taking the fruit. Okay. The, the trick is to use uh, use your GM ninja skills to, to, to grab the fruit and bedazzle them. You know, if, if you can't baffle them with brilliant or uh, dazzle them with uh, brilliance, baffle them with bullshit. Um, you know, get, get them to look in the other direction and take the fruit and be like, I have no idea where it came from, but look at this delicious jam I made just for you. <laughs> and it, you, you, if you start a campaign that way, everything that follows after it will feel to the players like they've directly influenced the world. And in a way they really have. Mm. Um, And it helps with a GM for GMing skills as well. If you can take something that they've done and turn it into something that you can run, Mm. it's not for everybody. Some GMs just can't do that sort of thing. They really need to prepare. Uh, I'm very much prepare the world run by the seat of my pants <laughs> okay um, 
you know, I, I, I enjoy doing that sort of thing. Um, I definitely try to prepare a story arc when I go. But other than that, I like to let the players influence the world as much as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm one of those GMs that's listening to what the players are saying and be like hastily writing it down to turn it into something <laughs> later on. Like, oh, yeah, they totally think that the, the Cardinal Richelieu is behind this whole mess, right? Yeah, it totally he is now. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this. Um, well, my wife used to a GM for us. Um, I, I kind of got obviously the inside story from time to time. And she was she was doing exactly the same thing. She she'd almost entirely improvise entire campaigns around the wittering at the table. Really, she put it. You know, what the players talk about. Um, she set up a situation, see how they react to it, and then go listen in. And they'd be telling us all sorts of theories, and she just pick the one that sounded coolest and run with it. Yep. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> And the, the best part is for the most for the most part you can get away with it like they're not going to notice it because they already thought it was true so if you already think something is true you can't know that it wasn't created five minutes ago okay so we've kind of i mean you're starting to sort of give a, a bit of a structure there sort of an approach to things you know sort of looking at the very top trees core kind of trees of the setting we're looking at then kind of deciding on your the parameters really of what the player character's can be and do and what they can access what technology is there all that sort of stuff and then from there you've also got this um, paint the picture using popular culture to sort of uh, inform the imagery yes um, and then ask them for three character ideas that's a nice tip I like that um, and then once you've got that you just start helping them with their characters and mm. I've if you're playing GURPS mm. Your GM should be right at the table while you're creating your character helping you. Not literally mm. at the table, but she's, he or she should be there. Mm. They should be there uh, assisting you. You should not be creating a character in a vacuum. Mm. Just don't. Because you're going to cause agita for yourself and the GM. Um, even, if, even if you create the most detailed documents possible, mm for your campaign there's still going to be questions that the gm needs to ask because Mm. they're player characters and that's what they do (laughs) it doesn't matter what the point value is really the gm should definitely be there this is why i always advocate a session zero or pre-session zero Mm -hmm. um, where everybody gets together and you figure out what you want to do and then the next session is creating a character yeah and then once you have characters created don't let them just stay in a static, you know, as you're going along, making more of the campaign, go back and revisit the characters that are done Mm -hmm. and see where you can improve them or where they have things that they don't need. Yeah. Um, Let the players tweak them really. Yes. And that, Mm -hmm. that another rule of mine is you have three sessions to modify your character Mm -hmm. from session one to session three. If you have something or you should have something modify your character you know, that way it fulfills the concept that you're trying to do. And that is something that I have found that a lot of GMs don't actually do in GURPS. And it creates really annoyed players. Because you're not going to remember everything that you need. Yeah, I guess it's that thing, isn't it? As well as you get into play, you realize that actually we're doing these activities and I hadn't thought about that. Or actually mm-hmm. i can't have thought about that but i haven't thought about it properly so there's something i've forgotten or something i just want to tweak and change kind of just shift these points yeah with gurps it's that 
you know you definitely want to tweak your numbers here and there as well don't you for the ability that you want to be able to portray yeah. in, in the story so and I, yeah i i actually allow what's called player character point debt and that mm-hmm. is if say like you're playing a high strung ex navy seal and you forgot mm-hmm. to pick up i don't know running mm-hmm. i will happily allow you to pick up the running skill up to your attribute which is usually two points for an average skill mm-hmm. and then you go into negative two debt. So the next time you gain character points, you work your debt off. But you've mm. got the skill that you should have had from the beginning. And that helps. So once the player characters are done, then I usually try to get with each player and figure out what they want to do. Mm. I just, I'm blunt about it. It's like, I, I, I want to know exactly what you're trying to achieve with your character. Mm-hmm. What is it that you want to do in game that's going to make you happy as a player out of the game? Mm-hmm. Um, and I take notes and I try to formulate the plot lines from there. And then it's just running a game. Mm. So when you're talking about that, you're talking about the sort of like overarching goals. You're talking about short, medium, long, bit of everything. Bit of everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, I try to start with the 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 immediate goals that players want. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you're playing a mage and you really just want to blow stuff up with fireball. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll make sure that you get a chance or two in game to blow stuff up with fireball. Yeah. Um, maybe you want to be an arc mage eventually. I really feel that if you have a defined player character, then you need to have a defined overarching goal for that player mm. and that character. Do you do that for yourself as well? Do you sort of sit there and think about what cool things do I want to see happen? Yeah. Um, I tend to do that after the players have mm-hmm. kind of come up with what they want to do because my what I want tends to change with what they want. Yeah. Right? You know, I very much believe that the GM is the servant of the players. Mm-hmm. And I know that is... <laughs> that's probably a bit radical. But uh, I really believe that the GM is there to make sure the players have fun. The, the GM should have fun as well, obviously. Mm. Um, but that's their their goal. That's that's what they do. That's why they've been given the power to run the game. That's why they've been given the time by the players is to make sure people have fun. Mm. And that is something I have found is overlooked in any game, uh, not just GURPS. Yeah. You know, the, the the GM is not there to, to toy with the player characters, unless it's that kind of game, you know, unless you're playing something like Paranoia. Mm-hmm. He's there to facilitate the fantasy. He's there to bring life to the ideas and thoughts that everyone collectively shares about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I really, I believe that gaming itself is a collaborative storytelling. Mm-hmm. The The GM sets the frame, the players fill it up. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that idea that um, you know what I'm trying to do if I'm setting up a game is I'm trying to you know provide the basis, the the beginning point, something to latch onto, I guess, and then from then the players get to come and bring their stuff to that to that framework. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Mm. And I guess that takes some pressure off as well, doesn't it? Because you kind of think, well, have I got to get this? To, I've got to get this so far. I've got to provide you with, uh, you know, a setting, a place to begin, um, and then you're going to come and bring some great characters, and then we together we can bring the whole thing to life. Yes, that's mm. it. Uh, 
a, a more summed up nutshell. I tend to ramble. Obviously. <laughs> That's fine. That's my job is to listen and try and break it down. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really think it's important uh, for the GM to listen to the player characters mm. or the players rather. I always get the two mixed up for some reason. <laughs> Even when I'm writing, I write player characters when I mean players. But yeah, it's and especially for GURPS because GURPS is GURPS has a really unfair reputation for being un, unnecessarily complex, mm. and it really isn't. Like, pick a line and go from there. Learn the system. Once you learn the system, it's not really that complicated. Everything's roll low except for like two different stats. Yeah, I, I mean, this is a thing to talk about. Is that I don't think the game system itself is, you know, difficult. Um, obviously, the, the the challenge is the detail, you know, the and then yes. the options and the wide open choice. I mean, um, I remember having this conversation with Sean Punch about, you know, he was talking about how most games that you buy, they're a prescription for a particular, you know. So I go and buy Pathfinder, for example. I'm buying a, a prescription for fantasy gaming, aren't I? High high fantasy, high powered, you know. Um, romping adventure it's, it's fun you know you can play Pathfinder and have a lot of fun with it um, it's great until you try and do something that isn't that high fantasy uh, rompy you know high powered thing um, as soon as you want to do something different you you kind of got to break it hack it and that's when you run into difficulties and with GURPS you know the, all the other way around you don't have any prescription you actually just have you know a system and hey what do you want to do with it is the question Yes, and I, I, I've always felt that GURPS is for home brewers. Mm. You know, if you've got a specific setting you want to run, GURPS can do it. Mm. Um, it might take a little work on your part, but GURPS can do it. I personally believe that if you can just get down the main concepts, what the players have access to, and a general idea of what you're running, mm. you're good enough to go for a game. Mm. Um my current game, my Wusha game, I didn't write as much as I would have liked starting mm. off. Um, and my players just sunk their teeth into it and ran with it. Um, mm. So it's not like you need to d you devote hours and hours and hours to creating a setting. You just need to get the, 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 the chassis down, right? You, you, you need to, well, once you have the chassis down, the players can bring the tires and the engine and everything else. <laughs> um, but get that body frame down and you're good to go mm. it can be difficult I'm not going to lie about that it it depends on what you want to try to do and mm. because of that difficulty it can turn people off you know um, if you look at it a little closer you know and put some elbow grease into it you can come up with just about anything you want mm. And GURPS has an extensive library, both of its previous editions, which focused heavily on genre or world books, mm -hmm. with lots of heavily researched material. Um, like, a lot of the books, the third edition, you can use as primers for textbooks. Mm. Um, like, Vikings is great when you're, <laughs> you're looking at the Norse mythology or, or even uh, that particular era. Same thing with uh, Celtic myth. It really breaks everything down in a palatable manner uh, and gives you a kind of overview on what's what. Now, 4th edition has kind of walked away from that a little. Hmm. Um, but where 4th edition shines more than 3rd edition is that we have a system for damn near everything. Hmm. And it's 
almost always worked examples, which means less work for you as the GM. Hmm. It's missing very few. Yeah, is that sort of plug the thing in you need, isn't it? Yes. Say like you want to run a a spacefaring campaign, you Mm. can use GURP psionics. And it's it's there, it's ready. You don't you don't even have to understand how the builds work. It's mm-hmm. all given to it each power is explained in an encapsulated paragraph. Mm-hmm. You don't have to understand how it was made to use it. It's mm-hmm. just there and ready to go. And I think that is I think that is very fundamental when you're creating a Garbs campaign. You need to figure out what books you need. And if you don't know what books you need, go into the forums, explain your setting. People will give you answers, yeah. You know, or or even approach other players or authors. They'll, they'll they will help you. I was wondering whether you feel like GURPS campaigns or GURPS games maybe have more legs in them. Um, I know that you know the tendency in in the circles I'm moving in is that games are relatively short. You know, people pick up a game and they run with it for a bit. And we're not talking about outside of GURPS here. And I wondered if, like, because you have to put that effort in, because the players can invest in, you know, a really rich character, whether that has led to greater longevity in the things that you've run or not. What's your thoughts? It, it has in my case. Um, mm. I think that I've I've got one campaign that's almost 20 years old now. Mm. And it's, it's big, it's deep, it's run through old, uh, through multiple iterations um, just because things I wanted to do didn't have the necessary material for them until they showed up, that material showed up. And then it's like, all right, we're doing a soft reboot. This is what's being included. Um, I also think that a GM that really puts effort into a campaign is going to be loath to just discard it unless, you know... Um, they're one of those people that enjoy creating the campaign more than they are running it. And there are people like that. And mm-hmm. I'm wrong with that. I think that that ultimately results in high player turnover yeah. because when you get right down to it, most players want to run in a campaign that's going to last. They want their efforts to be <sighs> memorable. They mm-hmm. want to be able to change the campaign world in ways that is recognizable later on with other players or, mm. or other uh, characters. Mm. Um, and GURPS makes it so that you have a very firm foundation for your campaign. Mm. It's just so easy to add on to. Um, you know, and a, another side effect of the easy to add on to is that character updates are mm. so simple. I remember struggling in third edition D&D with what feat I was going to take for the next level. Because if you didn't take certain feats at certain levels, then you wouldn't get access to some of the higher tier stuff. And it, I'd be pouring through books for hours. With GURPS, it's like five or ten minutes and I'm done. Mm-hmm. And I think that that feeds back into it as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to get back to your original question, I really think that putting the effort in a campaign for GURPS usually results in you wanting to play that campaign more and longer. And the more effort you put in, the longer you want to play it so okay um, any last tips then for the aspiring GURPS home brewer whatever you come up with is enough you know don't don't judge yourself by what others have done or are doing if you can get those three basic things down then that's enough that's plenty hmm. and it, it shouldn't be 
something you worry with, you know, um, mm. find your fundamental truth, figure out what the player characters have access to, mm-hmm. come up with an elevator pitch, three things, you're done. If you can work up more, work up more. Um, but ultimately, those are the only three things that you really have to have. Ask questions if you're unsure of what you're doing. Ask other GMs. They'll help you. GURPS has got something like 100 different blogs that produce hundreds of posts in a month. And some of these guys go really deep in the technical field of the mechanics. Some of them give lots of advice about running campaigns. Some of them, such as myself, kind of does both as much as possible. Hmm. Um, there's a really lively community for GURPS. You just got to look for it. We're, we're kind of sub rosa, if you get my meaning. Uh, but we're there, and people are always interested in helping out newbies. Always. Great, Christopher. Thanks so very much for that. Before you go, where can people find you? Remind us, where can we find you? Um, how can we support you? Uh, I run a blog at ravensandpennies.com. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mostly GURPS, but it's also got a lot of information on gaming in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also where I put my actual play blog posts for games I run. Some people are really interested in those. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me at uh, as Raven Penny on Patreon. Mm-hmm. I do lots of specific stuff for uh, patrons, and you, you get to help out a struggling uh, writer at the same time so you get stuff for your GURPS games you get direct access to me uh, if, if that is something that is useful to you and uh, you get to support me which is good for me hopefully I'll make it worth your while as well <laughs> always good stuff well Christopher thanks very very much for your time this evening I really appreciate having the chat yeah, it's, not been a really, problem. it's been really good just to talk about some of the practicalities around getting started with a, a homebrew campaign if you have any questions or concerns, you know, get up with me. I'm always around and I can help you with whatever you need. Thank you. All right, Shay, I'll talk to you. So that's about it, really. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Roleplay Rescue. Thanks once again to my guest, Christopher R. Rice, for coming on the show and chatting with me about GURPS campaigns. Don't forget, check out his blog at Ravens and Pennies. On that note, I'm going to sign off. Thank you for lending me your ears and giving this episode a go. And if you enjoyed listening, please consider sharing the episode on social media. I'm Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again soon. Game on.